I am Brad Henderson from the Screencast, and I'm here with Mr. Simon Boswell, uh, composer extraordinaire. How are you doing? I am very well today. Thank you. So we're here uh, to mainly talk about uh, Santa Sangre, uh, what it was just released on vinyl and also um, had a Blu-ray release from Severin uh, 4K UHD with many special features, interviews, and um, uh, well, the soundtrack was included in there too, which was- Some uh, of it, really nice. yeah, some of it, yeah. But yeah, some of it, because the, the vinyl that is released here by, was it Flick Records? Yes. Uh, this is a special edition with uh, two LPs. Um, can, can you just really, since we're on the subject, explain yeah. kind of the differences um, and why they were, um, why this has more music versus the 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 disc and the Severin package? Uh, uh, well, it, uh, the the reason is that I've been preparing this release of the this double soundtrack album, a really definitive, complete version for a long time. Um, Flick Records is my own label, um, and I've been sitting on all of these DAT tapes you know, since since 1989 when I when I first wrote the music, um, and of course. You know, what's come out on previous CD releases is not the complete score. Um, inevitably, you know, not everything makes it onto a soundtrack, you know, album. But this time, you know, I've been through everything and found all the alternate takes, all the cues that weren't, that were in the film, but weren't ever released on on vinyl or CD or anything before. And um, plus I found... Amongst my 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 uh, collection of DAT tapes, the 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 recordings that were recorded live on the set in Mexico City when they were shooting the film. So a lot of the live music, the circus band, the street bands, things like that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of extra stuff on it. We even have a there's a song that I that I wrote, um, which um, has Jodorowsky. On it, doing doing a uh, doing his sort of deep deep voice as a psychiatrist or hip, hypnotist uh, actually on the track, because uh, I went to film him doing such a thing for my live show, so that he, along with various other directors I've worked with, can appear as virtual guests in my live show when I play. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, I saw that was. Uh... Like side D, the first song was, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was. It, it's a, it's a nice. It, it's it's a wonderful package. It sounds, it sounds brilliant. It, it's it's uh, really amplifies. But I think the the more interesting part of this is that you know I, I've grown up with the movie, um, watched uh-huh. it in my teens into about you know my adulthood here. But when I got when I got the record, I was uh, very happy that it was this complete uh, you know LP, of course. Um, and I put it on, and and, and it really uh, struck me in a different way. Um, and, and I mean that is that, you know, you have uh, the film that we all know and love, and it's and it's beautiful, it's spectacular, it's it's haunting. It really is this masterpiece um, that exists. And and a lot of times with music, um, you know, you have a wonderful picture that helps amplify the music, or you have a, you know, a subpar looking movie, but the music sometimes amplifies the movie. In in this sense with Santa Sangre, it's, it's so impressive that it's both at the same time. Um, and in, in a lot of that uh, is kind of going into the maestros that were behind this. I mean, including yourself, um, you know, uh, Mr. Rene Cardona Jr., uh, Claudio Argento, Jodorowsky. Yeah. It's just this entourage, like this, just this, this uh, basically super group of, of, of filmmakers. I, I just want to know kind of how all this came about with you mm. and, and kind of getting involved with, with all these wonderful, wonderful filmmakers and especially a producer, um, and, uh, was it Angelo, uh, I kind of like just him working with Cardona in the past um, yeah. and everything. It's just, this plethora of filmmakers. Yeah, well, it's 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 an in, it's an interesting point in time. I mean, I had really just begun to be a film composer, um, uh, and though even though I'm, I'm English, I, I I had been on tour with with a band of mine uh, touring Italy 
a few times. And um, I, I also became a record producer, producing various Italian pop stars and singer-songwriters, you know, in the early 80s. Um, and it was, you know, 1984, you know, I think I was in Rome. I was producing another album for RCA Records in Rome. And um, I, I, a friend of mine who, who was working for RCA Records uh, took me to a party and I, I was introduced to this guy um, who turned out to be Dario Argento. I didn't know who he was. And to be honest, I I never watched any of his movies. I literally didn't know anything about him. <laughs> and, he, you know, everyone had had a few glasses of wine. And uh, my Italian was beginning, you know, I was beginning to speak Italian and I could understand a bit about not completely fluent. But my, my Italian friend who was there with me, you know, he... I stood in front of Dario Argento and he he sort of talked at me really, really fast, you know, in some pidgin English, some Italian, you know, with my friend trying to to, <laughs> to understand what he was saying too. And after the after about half an hour of talking to him, I said, I said, I think he's just asked me to to write music for one of his films. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm not sure. I'm quite sure. And and Vincenzo, my friend, wasn't sure either. But it turns out that was that was true. And this is how this my sort of voyage em, uh, embarked really with this group of people. And I I I had no intention of being a film composer. Though I've been a musician all my life, and I was kind of thrown into a studio with what remains of the band Goblin. Yeah. And. Um, Excuse me, I'm just going to sneeze. Hang on a second. So uh, what, uh, what remains of the band Goblin? There were, there were two of them left, Claudio Simonetti and Fabio Pignatelli. And Dario kind of, I think he was worried they didn't have enough time to do what he needed uh, on the movie. And so he thought, like, if he threw me into the mix, it would, you know, speed things up or, the, you know, we could divide stuff up or whatever. And so, you know, I spent about a week or so in Claudio's studio um, and it sort of transpired, I mean, the way my approach to what we would have done was kind of quite different from his. I mean, he's coming from a, his essence, a sort of prog rock perspective with mm -hmm. his band, though I've got, I have to say, not having heard anything before, but then revisiting things like Suspiria. I mean, they're very creative, very interesting soundtrack. Um, so we, in the end, what happens, we split up into two. I'm going to talk about Dario just because this will lead us to, to Chodorowsky. Um, we split up the cues, you know, and I only did about six or seven cues for, for Phenomena. Um, but it began this relationship with, with Argento. And the next thing he asked me to do was to do the whole of Demons 2. You know, Demony uh, Simonetti had done the first Demons film. And he asked me to do the whole of the second one. And that's what I did. Uh, and then I did Stage Fright, which is a Michele Suave film. So, you know, Michele Suave was Dario Argento's uh, sort of first AD. Um, so that everybody seemed to sort of know each other. And when Santa Sangri came on, it's just like four years later, like three or four years later, I knew who Jodorowsky was because I had seen El Topo, you know, back when I was a student, you know, mm -hmm. when I was 19 or something. And I never forgot that film. <laughs> so I, when I was asked about doing Santa Sangre, and I was asked because Claudio Argento, Dario's brother, you know, I was kind of seen as being this sort of hot shot new kid on the block, yeah. um, you know, from England. And um, they thought, you know, it would be a good match. So that's how it all came about. And it, and it was quite a close-knit group in those days of all these Italians doing the, doing these horror films, basically. I mean, Lamberto Barba, you know, Dario Argento was producing Demons 2, which Lamberto directed. Michele Suave was his first AD. You know, they all knew each other. Yeah. And so it seemed, I think, from Claudio's point of view, you know, I was kind of safe, interesting pair of hands to 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 um, work with Jodorowsky. So, you know, I, I literally, I, I, I pitched up in the cutting room where they were still editing the film. Um, and Alejandro was very, very pleasant, very friendly. You know, I, I was slightly apprehensive because I knew he had all, he was also a musician. I mean, he's quite a polymath. You know, he had written some music for El Topo and Holy Mountain. 
So I was slightly nervous about that, but he was incredibly generous about it and very informative. And I learned an awful lot from, from being with him and from working with him about, about being a film composer more than anything yeah. else. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, maybe we could just jump into the soundtrack and this might make more sense to the audience. So yeah. w- one thing that I found in still find uh, very unique about this soundtrack is, is just the, the various instruments that are played, um, the, the mm-hmm. various uh, genres of music. Um, it's just this really uh, weird approach to to a soundtrack that's good, of course, but you know, obviously, to to this oddball film. So, yeah. I guess my question is: is you know who Jodorowsky was, but did you see any footage? Before you started, like, what, how yeah. how were you approached with this, and did well, you know what you were getting into? Uh, uh, yeah, I did know what I was getting into because I mean, I sat in the cutting room, you know, with them for a few hours, yeah. with the editor and and with Alejandro, you know, going through what they had of the film. They hadn't finished editing it, but you know, I could see what it was, and I, it, even on. I have to say this because back in those days, you know, they were still editing on the old Moviola machines, you know, where right. thirty five copy of the 35 mil copy of the film goes through this sort of tape thing and and they have they watch it on a little screen it's about like four inches by three inches you know it's tiny but I, nevertheless i could see you know this is pretty pretty extraordinary stuff and i i knew what to expect from jodorowsky i mean he he's a sort of master of surrealistic art really yeah and um he was very, very instructed to me. I've told this story several times, really, but one of the one of the scenes we sort of stopped to linger over early on. I don't think there'll be spoilers at this point, will there, to, to your audience? I, I think, think we'll be scene. fine. Yeah. Um, you know the scene, the scene where um, uh, Concha, the, the the mother of of uh, Phoenix, the boy, where she gets her arms cut off by the knife throwing. Um, well, her philandering, knife-throwing husband. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's blood spurting out of her shoulders. And I, I said, kind of in my naivety, but, you know, I'd, I'd done a few a few Italian horror films at this point. I said, do you want this to be, like, really nasty and unpleasant? And he said to me, he looked quite shocked. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. This must be uplifting. This is a spiritual experience for her. So... It, what, it, what it really taught me was that you can write the music from any anybody's perspective in a film and that you don't have to underline the things that are already underlined. For You know, it, I think the Hollywood system of making movies is very different in this respect, and they sometimes rely on music to kind of reinforce what people already know. It's almost like treating the audience as if they're a bit stupid. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so he, Alejandro really taught me to write music from any number of perspectives, and it needn't be you're looking at seeing blood spurting everywhere. Well, we can see that. It's horrific. But the, if, you, if you write music which somehow is counterintuitive to that, it can really create a depth, a kind of resonance of meaning in a film's and one can really do only do this in art films up to a point, um, which makes people more interested in the movie. It's yeah. it's just more of an interesting uh, experience if the music is adding something or adding a perspective other than what you can see. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think that's I think that's perfectly put because um, you know, and, and this isn't you know a knock against any of the music that you've done, but I mean, you can probably kind of tell that with something like uh you know stage fright for instance yeah. like how horrifying and kind of you know uh energetic the music is you know the <laughs> woman gets cut in half with a chainsaw and they lift her body yeah. you know, through the hole like it's th- like that scene is memorable you know yeah. I, I, right now i can't really recall the soundtrack uh, no. to that point but with something like Santa Sangre, I can. I can hear the music. No. I can I can see that scene. You know, the music's still great in stage fright, but I yeah. understand what you're kind of uh going with. And I, I do agree, like there are sequences in in various movies where the soundtrack really maybe uh by um what we're used to. Mm. <laughs> it, yeah. It, yeah. It, 
flows just and follows suit with what everybody else does. It is hard to remember the music. It, is, it, it definitely is, you know, and I, I, where, where possible I've tried to do that. Partly, I mean, I, it, it was, John Orofsky sort of instructed me about that. But, I mean, even stage fright, I had, um, <laughs> someone pointed this out in an interview the other day, I think I was the first person to ever use the, I don't, this, if this, don't, this makes any sense to you, the funky drummer sample. From James Brown's drummer, which I used in Stage Fire. I mean, so I, I even then was sort of instinctively trying to do things which were a bit off the wall. I mean, there's a lot of tension with this typical high tremolo strings, but underneath it, you've got the funky drummer playing. Yeah, it, 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 and it's funny because Stage Fright is another one of those films where I remember the music 100% in the opening. Yeah. You know when 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 the when they're all on stage and and mm. you know the owl head comes out and starts dancing. It's very very memorable. The music. Yeah. I can't remember the picture so much, but I can remember the music <laughs> yeah. very very. Well, that's, good. that's good. I mean, I, I I'm pleased that that's the case. It, you know, as long as it doesn't overshadow what a film is, and that's sometimes the trouble. If a film isn't that strong. It's the music is in danger of drawing too much attention to itself. Yeah, it's and, not and good I, for anybody. I think that kind of follows back to my comment about how sometimes you know a, a mediocre film could be amplified by music and make the scene work and good. Um, and right. you know sometimes it's the other way around. You know, um, yeah. yeah, that's not the case with this film, and it's and it's just very. Uh, it's such a unique score and, 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 and the music that's playing. I mean, just, just for example, kind of like the, the theme that, that, that plays uh, throughout the very low key, it's very um, uh, music box kind of uh, oriented, but it also kind of has this circusy sound like the da, yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah. And, but it also has this kind of uh, very haunting uh, troubling kind of eerie tone behind it. And I just wondered if, if, if obviously this is all intentional, if you can, can kind of walk through kind of, you know, just this sequence alone, just this music that play, I mean, it's, it's mainly very, uh, it's very noticeable uh, towards the end of the film after they throw the mannequin off, um, mm. uh, off, off the, the, the balcony and they're taking, you know, his nails off and he's becoming like, he's growing up in a way. Like it's this yeah. adolescent sound that you hear with the music box and everything. And then it kind of goes into the uh, guitar, uh, you know, yeah. the kind of a yeah. mariachi esque. Yes. Um, uh, it's very unique. So can you talk about this just a time? Yeah. Ago? Okay. Well, I mean, you know, the music box thing, uh, what I was trying to do with the music, for Phoenix, for the the child who then grows up to be the sort of uh, serial killer, um, yeah. I mean, I wanted it to be innocent because he's just a child, I mean, and I. It, it seems to me you can't like write a whole big, thick, complex orchestral piece or anything like that for a child. This is about a very simple thing which happened to him, and he's traumatized. <laughs> By, by witnessing the, what his father did to his mother and what she did to him and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so the music box is just, it seemed to fit, like you say, crosses over into the simplicity of the circus stuff, the sort of clown, clown-like mm -hmm. simplicity. But at the same time, it has a very sad, tragic quality to it. And and that for me was just the just the sound. I mean, that, that that's all that it, I was really working with. That the guitar theme again, you know, it's a simple tune. It's just, it's just me playing a nylon string guitar. I didn't want it to be complicated because it didn't serve any kind of purpose really. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, just in general about the music. I mean, I've done this with various of those films, but in my head, some of it which clearly sounds like very sequenced electronic music mm -hmm. um, when you listen to it now. In my head, I was sort of kind of willing it to sound like a real orchestra, which it patently doesn't. <laughs> and I kind of, I'm kind of really pleased that it doesn't because it sits somewhere between the electronic music of the era 
you know, and and, and what I was and, and sort of classical notes, if you know what I mean. I was trying to write something in the line of sort of Stravinsky-like chaos, but clearly not having no budget for any other musicians to be on it whatsoever. I just had to do it all on my own. And I think it's it kind of stands the test of time because it it sits somewhere between almost like sort of prog rockish, you know, um, synth music and fulfilling its function of creating slight chaos and tension and, and action. So, I mean, I... I I am as much pleased as anyone else that people still like it. But all I can say is if a composer needs inspiration, I couldn't have had more inspiration than Jodorowsky gave me with the images in this film. I mean, it's just, it's a work of art. No, absolutely. I, I guess, you know, just, just had a curiosity with, uh, you know, cause you, you watching, you know, the, the film as, as they're cutting it and everything, Mm. When did you first see it on the big screen and the, and the music is just loud and you're sitting there? What was that experience like? I, I actually think the first time I saw it was at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, uh, when, you know, I obviously, well, the way that I worked back then was to go to Rome, sit with a director for a few days, go through and make some notes. And then I literally go home with a with a VHS tape, VC you know, for my VCR, none of which I was able to synchronize properly to anything I could record onto. Uh, I, I've been writing various tech notes about um, the life of a film composer coming from the eighties onwards on Facebook recently. If anyone cares to go to my Facebook page and befriend me or whatever, I've been writing these film composer tech notes. And it's um, so I would take the uh, a video home with me and just watch it. And to that extreme, I could that extent that I could watch it on a TV screen, albeit they didn't have big flat screen TVs then. But you know, it's an ordinary TV that was bigger than watching it on a movieola machine in the cutting room. But I didn't see it on a big screen until the Cannes Film Festival, um, about which. There are several very hilarious stories. <laughs> um, I mean, I went with John Orofsky, uh, you know, with various people, the, the guy who wrote the script. I'm sorry if names escape me at this moment, but um, I don't know if Claudio, I think Claudio Argento was there as well. But anyway, we all went and went, saw it. And um, quite a few people walked out, actually, but I think they do at the Cannes Film Festival. Right. People walk out of everything. They're very rude. Yeah. Well, this honestly, you know, it, obviously, I love the movie, but this seems like something that people would walk out of for sure. I, I, I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready for it. No, exactly. I mean, exactly. And then the, the original poster for it said, "Forget everything you have ever seen." <laughs> Which is kind of true in a way. Yeah. No. Unless it's, you've it's seen a Jodorowsky film. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, I remember doing a, doing um, a press conference afterwards, you know, sort of you know, big traditional press conference, and they they asked me to sit at the table with Jodorowsky, just the two of us. <laughs> Though you can imagine, no one wants to ask me a question, <laughs> but Jodorowsky is like so hilariously funny and um, bizarre in his answers, and he speaks in a mixture of sort of four or five different languages simultaneously. It's quite. Extraordinary to behold. But um, so I remember watching a whole row of translators wearing headphones who were sort of translating for different journalists from around the world. Um, is that a, after about five minutes of trying to make sense of what he was saying, ripping their headphones off and throwing them on the floor. <laughs> and, um, just because he, he talks, he just talks in this sort of mystical, strange way, you know, which you can make sense of what words come out in the languages you know, but yeah. otherwise not. Someone asked him, Mr. Jorowski, what was in your mind when you made this film? And he said, I do not make films with my mind. I make them with my testicles. Oh. So the, <laughs> you can imagine those sort of like a sort of Yeah, I, I wouldn't silence. say that either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's very typical of him. I mean, what he what he meant was, you know, I'm I'm not a typical filmmaker, and he's not. You know, I, I'm more of an artist. I'm, I make how I feel, and I, I'm trying to make something that's full of sort of symbolism, full of uh, full of meaning. So he, he's quite interested, as people probably know, in the tarot and in what he calls psycho magic, which his films kind of are. They're a sort of 
enactment of his understanding of psychotherapy uh, and how the human mind works. So, yeah, you know, that's absolutely. I mean, it, this is it's a it's a it's a it's a sick masterpiece, and and I think that's kind of where it all yeah. um, kind of comes down from. And also, you know, he he's the creator of his own universe. Uh, yeah in these films and 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 it's hard i think even around that time maybe even still a little this day it's hard for people to make maybe understand that concept yeah. um you know but yeah it's this very pure surrealistic work that yes. um that he's done and also with the whole aspect of in and, and i guess this is another question for you is kind of the 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 Greek tragedy complex that that yeah. that is in the movie. Um, yes. Did did you have conversations with him at all, and did you try to apply that uh, to your music? Uh, I I didn't really have conversations with him about that, but uh, what you have to understand is that I I studied English literature at college, not music. I mean, so mm-hmm. my whole take on doing film music is based on having making kind of sense in a literary way of what a film is you know of the whole what the whole film means so i am very well attuned i think that's why i think what i did worked well with 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 santa sangre because you know i i think in the same kind of way of trying to make sense of what the sort of psychopathology of a of a novel is or a shakespeare play and equally a film so I, I didn't need to to ask him questions about that. I mean, I was watching this thing, and I could see that this is very much, you know, it, it has all those sort of Oedipal um, ideas in it from Greek tragedy, but it's it's mm. primarily about a, a kid who's trauma, so traumatised by what happens to him that his own personality is sublimated by his mother. You know, his, his, he, he has no sense of himself at all. And literally becomes his mother's arms. You know, it's, it's like Chodorovsky is personifying the sort of the psychological process of what it must mean to be traumatized like that as a kid. So, if you become literally your mother's arms, and your your mother wants to keep you close, <laughs> you know, uh, she'll make you kill women who are potentially going to take you away from her. It's kind of what the story is in a nutshell, yeah. you know. So, so that she's the serial killer in essence, um, because he's murdering these women with her arms. They're not his own arms anymore. He doesn't have his own identity. That's why I think that the end of the film is one of the greatest, almost sort of Shakespearean, tragic endings of anything I've ever read or seen, because he goes through this trauma. And then just in the last minutes, with the, with the help of the, the mute little mute girl, yeah, um, you know, he's he, he's encouraged to to realise that he is himself, he's his own person. And so the the final scene, he goes, the police are surrounded, the building he's in, he's being arrested for all these murders, and he goes out the door. And they say, put your hands in the air, you know, like, please, put your hands up, put your hands up. And which he does. But as he does it, he's looking at his at his hands going, ah, they're my hands. They're my hands. <laughs> you know, so he's literally surrendering in the moment in which he's discovered his own identity. And I just think that is utterly brilliant. I really do. That's, I think it's a wonderful piece. No, yeah. There's, there's just so much, uh, you know, and this goes for, pretty much every Jodorowsky film is that there's so much powerful imagery um, in in the film. And I guess uh, leading up to another question, I mean, you're already this prolific composer, you you know what you obviously, you know what you're doing, but (laughs) composing something like this, how, how nervous were you giving the music to Jodorowsky and kind of having him watch this for the first time? And what was kind of his reaction uh, to this? He, he, he was just incredible. Like I said from the beginning, he, you know, probably sensing my anxiety, you know, in our first meeting in the in the cutting room mm-hmm. um, and me saying, you know, should this be violent? Should this be blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he, he said to me, like I said, do you, do, you, do, you have, do you have any ideas, you know, about sort of instrumentation or kind of the sort of palette of how it should be? He said to me, Simon just make sure what you write is from your heart. Hmm. That's it. 
perfect. <laughs> so, you know, he really gave me absolute freedom. And of course I was nervous sending him some of the stuff. Right. But I knew, I knew, for example, that like the acoustic guitar piece for the for the kid, um, which is called Triste, um, on on soundtrack albums and on the one that I'm releasing, that simple piece, you know, I knew that was gonna work because it does work. I mean, I, I've been doing this now for nearly 35 years. And I still know when what I'm doing works, you know. I, it's and and I didn't have any worries about that. I had worries about some of the more electronic stuff, but he really liked it. He sort of, I think he he's so secure in his own kind of creative vision that he welcomes someone else contributing their own vision as well. And I think you don't find that in many directors. No, you know? no, no. Yeah, especially nowadays yeah there's there's so much direction given to composers and that's why it's yeah. refreshing to know kind of um that he let you have that artistic freedom and yeah. uh, you know especially putting you know music together for like we've already talked about cutting off the arms uh yeah. you know the, the dying elephant is is something that has uh stuck in my yeah. mind for for mm -hmm. years it's a very uncomfortable scene um yeah. And in and the music that's surrounding a lot of this, even the the the, the when 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 Phoenix is in the graveyard, yeah, and, and all, all the the the, the uh, white corpses yeah. kind of lift up, and the horses, yeah, yeah, it's it's psychedelic. It's it's completely it's it's like it's not it's not it's nowhere near being a horror film. It's not scary at all. It's just it's like a sort of weird psychedelic dream a lot of it yeah yeah and it, it, it's uh, it's nightmarish is is what it is it's, yes, right. yes it's, yes it's indeed. not scary it's it's very nightmarish and and yeah. i think that's where kind of the music really plays a huge part um into those sequences because you really don't have any scary music you have uh -huh. very like sometimes beautiful and relaxing music behind yeah. these horrific scenes yes and that's yes. what even gives it more of kind of the fever, dreamish, nightmarish quality. Yeah. Um, so how sick and twisted are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't think I'm sick and twisted at all. I, I, my wife might disagree. I don't know. But <laughs> I actually think I've... I, I didn't intend to be a film composer. Mm. I didn't intend especially to compose for a lot of horror films. It just kind of happened to me. But I do find a real affinity with exploring, you know, that genre. Um, and, and I, you know, and obviously one, it, it's such a temptation to do the same thing over and over again. And there are certain things that you have to do over and over again because they just simply work, you know, in the building of, te of tension. You know, you can you can find all kinds of different ways to play instruments and all that stuff, but essentially the, the tricks work. You know, I mean, a low pulse, sort of. You can manipulate the way people they're almost like their heartbeat by by doing that and playing with how fast that pulse is underneath yeah. a piece of music, or even if it's just on its own. It's just lots of things which you know. But I'm I sick and twisted. Um. I, I've tried where possible, and I think I've managed it in a few films to do something that's slightly out, out of the, the box. I mean, and it, invariably it's where directors have not given me direction. And I can name the ones that didn't and the, where I think it worked. Richard Stanley is one of those directors who just let me do hardware, just let me do dust and all that, just let me do most of his, what he's done. Um, and I will just come up with something I hope from a different perspective you know it I don't want to write just scary music all the time it's not it doesn't interest me particularly yeah but there there are moments and I kind of call them popcorn duty where <laughs> where you kind of have to do the expected thing yeah no I I think that kind of plays into uh you know you, you did you did a score to a film that I, I think is very, very underseen. Um, and I, I was going to ask you about it because it is mm -hmm. a, a favorite of mine, but it is very much a standard horror film. Is yeah. uh, Rovdeer, uh, a.k.a. Manhunt, the Norwegian, oh, yeah. the Norwegian okay. serial killer movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
very, very well done. Um, and, and that music really amplifies it's, it's, it's so much intensity yeah. uh, behind it. But I think, I think that might be one of those films that you're kind of talking about where, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, but you did it well, but yeah. uh, you know, there isn't much, it's, it's not <laughs> working with Stanley or Jodorowsky, of course. Uh, no, but you know, again, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, thank you for that, and I'm, I'm pleased you've even seen that one. Not many people have, but I did. I tried to do that one in particular with a lot of kind of weird ambient yeah. sound design, really, which I've been doing all the way through, to be honest, um, using ambient sounds which don't have any particular musical quality, but have a sort of atmosphere about them. I've always loved those kind of sounds. Provided it's not only that, provided you put just some elements of music to tie it together. Otherwise, it just becomes, I mean, I watch some things, you know, TV things and movies these days, and it's just like all ambient stuff, and it just doesn't fucking mean anything. It's just there. Yeah. It's wallpaper. And I, I yeah, I mean, I, I have many, many times, you know, I can't, I'm not going to pretend I haven't written all those obvious type horror scores because I have. I think I was just lucky in that the Italian ones, when they started, it coincided with the first time that you could get all those sort of, you know, big um, choir sounds, you know, <laughs> that, that epic Gothic stuff, um, you know, and I was happy to use it because no one had really had those sounds before. So I, I, I'm, I'm lucky that my career coincided with various technological advances and the ability to be able to do certain things which you know you couldn't just go and get yourself a choir you know but now you could just mess around and have this sort of strange synthetic choir sound which i found out from a lot of sort of fans of interviews oh i love all that choir 80s choir stuff you did <laughs> you know um so i i've been you know fortunate with the technology and being there kind of at the beginning of that kind of revolution yeah no, absolutely. And I, I think that really kind of carries over, especially with a lot of uh, the stuff that you did um, uh, with with, uh, with Bava in particular, mm. um, you know, that uh, what is that kind of TV show that they had that they did? Uh, until oh, um, Zbrivido Giallo. Yeah, yeah. The, um, until Death You Did. Yeah. Um, which I think was unique uh, in itself. And it, it kind of, it, it felt like it kind of stayed away from kind of uh, what was already established. Right. Kind of the Giallo films, even yeah. though until death's not really a Giallo film, it's, it's, it's more or less, uh, I don't know. It's uh very, it's a very nightmarish movie too, but yeah. um, they, 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 uh, I guess each film that you approach, and, and this is more or less a compliment, not really a question. Um, each film that you have approached, it's, I think it's unique because, and this is also good in some cases, is that we hear a score by John Carpenter. We don't really need to know who it is. We know who it is by the sound. Yeah, It's, it's very hard to identify your music because you don't have a certain sound you approach each film in a unique way and i think that's unique for a composer very very different um and i think that's a good thing um you know but it's also like some <laughs> people just can't identify you know you hear goblin you know it's goblin you know yeah. uh yeah. you hear you know what seminetti touches you know because it, yeah. it has his flair you have your own flair but it's within the music you know, it's it's the uniqueness, not so much the sound. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that. But yeah. is that how you look at each one of these? Like, you don't look as as far as like your style. You do you go with a clean approach to each project? Completely, absolutely, yeah. completely. Even you know, even in recent months, I, I, I've been doing that. I, I just, I mean, you'll probably find there are certain things that I do, and you know, chords that I favor, and sort of, you know changes melodic changes and things that I, that I like that appear re reappear in different forms but you're right I will I really want to work out what is the palette of sounds I'm going to approach this film with to make it different from the last 10 or 20 or 30 you know so I do do that I do approach it differently mm -hmm. um in, in, during the whole lockdown year it, it was kind of really good timing for me but i did three mexican horror films 
um, which I'd very fortunately, you know, I'd done a deal and arranged to do all three of them before lockdown happened. So they were all shot and they were being edited during lockdown. So, so we could carry on with them. But each one of those, and they're three different um, uh, Mexican directors, um, there's Adrian Garcia Bogliano. I don't know if you know him. Oh God, yeah, I, I love uh, I love Bogliano so much. <laughs> yeah, so it's a film by him. There's uh, Lex Ortega, who's sort of king of the <laughs> really super nasty stuff in Mexico. Yeah. Um, and there's an Argentinian director, a woman called Tamay Garatigue, who. Um, so anyway, there were three very different films and i look at them and think well like you know they shouldn't all sound the same you know one of them adrian's film is about sort of you know haunted children you know possessed kids uh lex's film is a sort of home invasion movie and tamay's film is about uh, santeria sort of black magic voodoo in mexico city so you know i in my head i go well just even without seeing them i know that I'm going to make them different and I know how I'm going to make them different just by limiting myself kind of to a palette of sounds or an approach. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes if people give me enough money, I'll do it with an orchestra, but you know, um, for the most part, these films have been low budget and not able to do that. So that's, you know, that's nice of you to say what you're saying. The only downside from my point of view is, you know, it makes you much less uh, recognizable in terms, of, right. you know, in terms of you know, fame, style, in style, and whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what I was getting at. Is that you know, yeah. it is bad, quote unquote, bad at times. Yeah. But you know, I, I think that also um, makes you more unique, um, which I think is the goal. With yeah, stuff. it you is. Know, it's it's kind of like listening to a band as they mature. You know, um, you know, I think I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you're a fan of the replacements, um, but, you know, there's that music, too, where they start off as like this 17 year old angry punk band. Yeah. And by the end of their career, they're singing songs, uh, you know, about their families and their daughters going to college. Um, And they're very light and they sing about birth and death versus, you know, um, teenage angst. Um, and I, I think that's unique as, as, as a composer. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was more mess maturity for you, but it was growing. Um, and, and also multiple genres and, and multiple, uh, I mean, you worked with, like I said, filmmakers in Norway, uh, Mexico, yeah. uh, yeah. Italy, not a lot of composers can say that. <laughs> no, 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 they can't. It's true, I, and you know, I'm pleased that I've done it that way because I also, you know, I, I do, and I do get bored. I mean, I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's another big thing for me, you know. So I just like to keep kind of moving with it, and not everything I've done has been horror. I mean, last year also, by the way, I uh, did those three Mexican horror films, but I also did I did an out and out um, British comedy. <laughs> <laughs> which is a film called Blythe Spirits, which is a remake of the Noel Coward play and film that David Lean did in the 50s, mm-hmm. I think. You know, we, and then we did, they did this new version with Judy Dench and very sort of English actors. Um, you know, so I wrote, you know, orchestral comedy score for that. And that keeps me fresh to, and on my toes to do that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, I think writing music for comedies much harder than writing for a horror film. Yeah, no, that that seems like because I wouldn't know where to really start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, where where I kind of had to start was that yeah. please, you know don't whatever you do make it like a carry on film. Yeah, you know you know the British carry on movies, right? You know yeah, which yeah, is yeah. full of where there's a joke, there's a trombone going, you know, slight, you know, completely ridiculous comic music. Don't make the music, you know, comic. You have to make it. Almost as if the composer doesn't is a is a humorless chap. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't get the joke. You know, make it light. You can have make the music light and entertaining and sort of full of uh, sort of uh, light energy is why the way I would put it. But anyway, that was that was an interesting. We're sort of getting way off off track here, but um, I like to to change and keep to keep um, doing different things. And I've been incredibly lucky, you know, of having that run of starting with Argento and Nico Suave, Lambetta Barva, and Jodorowsky, 
you know, and then translating to 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 Richard Stanley, who all of the all of the subsequent people were fans of Dario Argento. Richard Stanley, because he thought I was Italian, like a lot of people did, <laughs> seeing my name and all these things. Um, Danny Boyle, I did when I did Shallow Grave. Shallow, He's a yeah, fan yeah. of Argento. Uh, Clive Barker, another one. Um, Perdita Durango, Alex de la Iglesia, that's another one. They were all, it all does go back to the very f- first people that I worked with. It's interesting. Yeah. As I was going to say, I mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned Clive Barker. 1995 was a very unique year for you. Yeah. Because you did that because um, you did Hackers. Yeah. Uh, and and you did Lord of Illusions. But then you also did that kind of uh, comedy with um, Judy Dench. Um, what is the name of that? Tim Sullivan directed it. Um Oh, Jack and Sarah. Yeah, yeah, Jack yeah. and Sarah. Yeah. So, so you, you had this very unique uh, year. I mean, obviously, these yeah. scores were composed at different times. But mm-hmm. talk about, like, three different kind of entries into uh, music. Uh, you know, and I, I think that's very impressive. You know, and like I said, it's not really another question. It's more or less a compliment because <laughs> I'm kind of taken back, you know, because music has always been a big part of, you know, my life. I mean, we have this about movies. I work for, you know, I work in the film industry, but music has always been a big thing. I I mean, I have a a vast amount of records of scores. Uh, You know, I listen to all genres of music. So it's very impressive when you have someone that can uh, put together uh, so many different genres and, and, and not really sound the same, you know, one of my favorite, um, I mean, he's a composer as well, but one of, one of, one of my favorite musicians is Mort Garson. Um, just because Mort Garson was able to use so many different types of, of music right. in to, to his occult stuff, to making his music for plants, to, you know, scoring Son of the Blob and Charles of Amazon, which was a Rene Cardona film, um, you know, uh, just so unique. And I, I think it's 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 kind of wild to hear the approach that you have on all these various films. <laughs> but like you say, it's sort of it's um, let's say it's it's unfortunate in terms of you know career and getting work because it's like people don't want versatility. A lot of people, I mean, they don't respect that. They want to know where to go. You know, they make a film. It's in a certain genre whatever it is they want music like that like what they've seen on someone else you know or what you've done before i mean it's like asking you know expect arnold schwarzenegger to be versatile they're actually he's very good at comedy isn't he as well but right. you know what i'm saying but people generally speaking when people become big movie stars they are playing themselves over and over again you know yeah, I mean, tom no, cruise I... tom cruise is tom cruise in every tom cruise film it's just a different story. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think you know, that does work for some people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's still an artistic approach, but there, there's a difference between kind of an artist and a true artist type of thing. And it is not meant to be really snobby. It's just, I, mm. it's just kind of how it, it you know, I, I think true artists, they always want to, to gain and do new things and, and try new things and approach things differently. Right. Uh, I think, you know, and it's not really the artist's fault. Sometimes they get pigeonholed into, yeah. into things because they do it so well that they're used over and over again. But then, you know, it becomes everything kind of becomes a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. And, and, it, and it all kind of runs together. And you can talk about synth, synth scores uh, for yeah. the past, like, you know, 20, 30 years is that, you know, you have Carpenter approaching this unique way but then everybody wants to replicate Carpenter over, yeah. and over and over again. And now I watch all these horror films. Yeah. And, you know, some sense scores are good. Uh, others, they're just, you know, you're just doing a copy of a copy. And, and mm. I wish that more musicians kind of took that approach to, uh, or the filmmakers telling the musicians, why don't you do something yourself? You know, I brought you in because I like this, but create something yourself don't make it right. i don't like it's, yeah. i feel like too many meetings it's like hey i like what you did on this film and this film let's right. take those two scores and put it together well right. nothing's new created in that sense 
Right. No, that's, that, that is very true. It's very true. Hey, listen, I'm going to have to wrap this up fairly soon. No, absolutely, because, yeah. Okay, but can I, can I just before can, can I just say go back to the, uh, the album? The question you asked me, actually, about what's different between what's on the Blu-ray release of Severin yeah. and my album. Um, uh, let me just let me, let me say this. The, the, the double album, you know, it's, it's, it's literally the most uh, expansive, definitive, Thing you will ever get from from the the music for Santa Sangre, the original music that is. Um, there is nothing more really <laughs> that, that exists. Um, with with Severin, you know, who I'm very good friends with, uh, they 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 were doing this release and they asked if they could do, um, you know, have some some tracks. So I gave them sort of 10, 10 tracks, which are a selection of things. From, from the new album. Some have appeared on, on the original soundtrack before and others are new ones. But the double album is like 78 minutes of music and there's like, some, I don't know, how many tracks there are, 35 tracks or so. So it's a, it's, a, it's, um, it's a very different thing. That's all I'm trying to say. If people are collectors and they want, you know, it's not going to be the same as on the Blu-ray, but the Blu-ray gives you a taster. Yeah, absolutely. Where, release, where can basically. people find uh, to purchase, because as you said, this is your own label, yeah, it's it's, it's to purchase this. Is they if they just go to my website, which is simonboswell.com, it's easy, easy to find and go to the shop there. Um and uh especially what I have done is I have I have a load of um my, all of my stuff, hardware, um, Santa Sangre, um, stage fire, all that stuff. There are hundreds of copies in the as the states already. So if you buy it even from my website. It is here. You get it really quickly. You get it in a couple of days and with very um, cheap postage in, in the United States. Perfect. So that's 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 my um, sales pitch done. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can get uh, you know Severin's disc at their website. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, it's quite the deluxe edition too. Like I said, there's uh, over eight hours of interviews on there. It's got the you know Blu-ray if you don't do 4K UHD and of course like uh, Simon has yeah. said the the soundtrack itself. Well, you know it's it's been a pleasure talking to you and kind of getting to know you a little bit more. Um, and um, I appreciate you being on the show. Likewise, been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.